is the story of a ragtag bunch of church members who set out to perform a Christmas play, and the director who tried his hardest to just keep it all together. The Glory of Christmas. My name's Joseph, and in the Christmas nativity play, The Glory of Christmas, I play Joseph. That's right. I was born to play this role. Joseph has no clue what to do when it comes to babies. So, in order for him to play the role of Joseph, we got him an infant simulator doll from the local home act teacher. So, you know, he could practice a bit. Insane shriek the baby. Needs to burp. Needs to burp? So, put your fingers under and try to find the... Where's the spine on this thing? I don't know. And check the front. Joseph is terrified. I don't blame him. Babies don't even have kneecaps. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> Burping like a boss? Uh, yeah, way to go, fake dad. I heard things may not be going so well with the infant simulator doll. Hey, Joseph, your mom's here to pick you up. Yeah. Coming. As you can see, my mom's house is... Full of antiques. So I did what any good home economics teacher would do. I sent Joseph home with a, a baby egg. I think about Joseph, like Bible Joseph, a lot. What it would have been like for him to have an angel come and tell him that his wife is pregnant with God's child. Ha! Like he would have had to really dig deep and find his, his compassion and his understanding because he really, really loved her. My dear Mary, it is going to be a long journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem for the census, especially with your belly being so humongous. With, 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 with child, Joseph, the line is being with child. <sighs> right. Sorry, ma'am. Is the age difference what's bothering you? I want you to know it doesn't bother me. <laughs> Okay, please, people, let's just take it from the top. I understand that Joseph is radically underqualified for all he's about to encounter. But isn't that the type of people God uses? The most unlikely folks to do the biggest things? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seems like those are the ones he always picks. Because he's a God that'll never give up on us. This morning's message is about Joseph. But before we go there, I want to explain for a second a little bit more about this title of our Christmas series, The Weight of Christmas. When we say the weight of Christmas, we're not talking about the increase in mass you'll experience after umpteen Christmas dinners, although that kind of weight is a concern for me. We mean something different. Uh, one of my favourite movies of all time is Back to the Future. Marty McFly, a teenager from 1986, discovers his friend and mentor, Doc Emmett Brown, known as Doc, has invented a time machine built into a DeLorean, of all things, which is very cool. Uh, unfortunately, Marty accidentally travels back in time and is stranded in 1956. Marty seeks help from the younger Doc, the Doc from 1956. 
And during the movie, Marty uses a number of colloquial words and phrases from 1986, and they confuse Doc from 1956. In particular, Marty likes to use the word heavy to describe a situation that is deeply significant or emotionally charged, a situation that is weighty, intense, an event or experience that, that, that has gravitas. It is this kind of weight that we are talking about when we talk about the weight of Christmas. The events of Christmas have weight. They are significant in history. As Rebecca explained last week, the word glory in the Bible, the Hebrew word kavod, when we also, we, we talk about the glory of Christmas, but it means honor, respect, reverence, importance, distinction. But the interesting thing is that kavod is built on the root word for heaviness or weight, which just goes to show the mighty McFly was a scholar of biblical Hebrew. Well, this morning, I want to think for a moment about the weight, the significance of Joseph's path in these events. Joseph and Mary are a couple. Joseph's parents paid Mary's parents a bride price. And so according to the customs of the day, they were married. But also according to the custom of the day, the wife continued to live in her parents' house for about a year before moving in with her husband and sharing his bed. I know it doesn't really fit with any of our ideas about marriage. So you can see that in some versions of the birth of Jesus story, it says Mary and Joseph were, were fiancé or, or betrothed or, or married. It, all those kinds of words work, but kind of don't as well. The purpose and practice of marriage in the first century was nothing like we consider marriage to be. But anyway, Joseph is married, but not living with Mary, and he discovers that she is pregnant. He decides that he will simply divorce her quietly. He doesn't want to make a fuss because he knows that she will most likely be executed for being unfaithful. That's a fairly significant life story right there, isn't it? I mean, I've known a number of young couples to fall pregnant and then they fast track getting married. But Joseph and Mary were already married. So Joseph is stuck until he has a dream. A dream in which an angel tells him that Mary's child was conceived by God and that child would be the long awaited Messiah, the prophesied chosen one. I don't know about you. I'm not sure those words would have reassured me a whole lot. I mean, think about it. Either he believes the angel in the dream or he doesn't. If he doesn't believe the angel in his dream, he has to make the tough decision whether or not to divorce Mary for unfaithfulness. And, and he has to worry all the while about how to doing that without seeing her killed. But if he does believe the angel in the dream, well, perhaps all those concerns about Mary's unfaithfulness go away. But think about the stress that comes from being told you're going to be responsible for raising the chosen one. I mean, how do you do that? especially if you've never been a parent before. <laughs> Already there's so much unknown and crazy about parenthood. Uh, so much that you can't predict, that no one can adequately prepare you for. I, I'm sure there are a number in our core right now who are figuring that out in the last few weeks. Every baby is different. Every parent is different. Every situation is different. None of the fatherhood books can prepare you particularly well. Nothing can prepare you for the fatigue and sleeplessness, right? I'm sure many of you can relate. You just do it. So imagine the level of worry and anxiety multiplied with the expectation that you have to take care of the Son of God. I couldn't have handled it. I would have been thinking, surely a priest or a Levite would have been a more suitable father for the Son of God. They could teach him all about God the Father as he grew up. They could, they could teach him how to read scripture and how to memorize the Psalms and whatever. Or, or, or maybe a general, a military leader would be suitable for the father of the Son of God. The, the Messiah is prophesied to be the king of kings, wasn't he? Surely someone who could teach him about leadership or tactics would be better. Or, or, or a political leader, someone who could teach the baby Jesus all that he would need to know about courts and leadership and law. Someone who could teach him to understand the ebbs and flows of political life. 
No. God chose Joseph. An ordinary bloke, carpenter. Jesus was to grow up in an ordinary home, in, in an ordinary way, with ordinary parents, just like us. Sure, his birth is surrounded by some miraculous signs. His parents had to flee to Egypt for a time to escape some genocide. Sure, he visited the temple at age 12 and demonstrated a certain ability to captivate temple elders with his wisdom. But generally speaking, Joseph, Mary and Jesus were a simple Jewish family living in a small, out-of-the-town, out-of-the-way province of the Roman Empire. Sometimes people ask me if there are stories of Jesus' early life as a child, and, and there are some here and there in extra biblical texts, texts that we don't consider to be uh, reliable biblical texts. But generally speaking, we understand that Joseph and Mary's life was fairly ordinary. You know how I know this? Well, the disciples all knew Jesus' mum, and I'm sure Mary would have told them stories of anything out of the ordinary he did as a kid. I mean, my mum loves telling stories about the ordinary things I did as a kid, let alone anything I did that was unusual. I'm sure Jesus' mother would have been the same. And I'm sure those who wrote our Gospels would have written them down. So Joseph was a normal, ordinary guy, not a preacher, prophet, politician, or professor. He wasn't a leader, ruler, or commander, or anything like that. Sometimes I think we forget that God often uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things, weighty things, glorious things. God does use extraordinary people at times, yes, but normally they're normal. Messed up, confused, scared, ashamed people. In Genesis chapter 12 to 22, God gives Abram a dream to leave his country, to follow him to a place that God would reveal along the way. Abram was 75 years old when God gave him this dream. I know a bunch of older people who still need to hear this message. God still uses 75-year-olds to change the course of human history. If God gives you a dream, it doesn't matter if you're old or not. If you're not dead, you're not done. In Genesis chapter 37 through to 50, God uses another guy named Joseph, someone who was bullied, abused, beaten, thrown into a pit, left for dead, trafficked across the world, sold into slavery where he suffered sexual harassment and injustice. He then spent years in a dungeon as a result. I can imagine he would have thought his life was over, his existence was meaningless, that God would never use him, that he would never amount to anything. But in time, he was used by God to the extent where he influenced and gave leadership to the whole nation of Egypt. And through them, he was able to save much of the known world, including Israel, from famine and death. In Joshua chapter 2, God uses a woman named Rahab who's a prostitute, and she becomes part, an integral part of the plan to assist the people of God in capturing the city of Jericho. And then we come, of course, to the, to the great stories of King David. David, who was the least likely kid to become king, he was the youngest in his family from an insignificant family from an inconsequential village, but he rises to become king. His life isn't that rosy. At one point, his son raises up an army and starts a civil war until he's killed. At another point, David commits adultery with a married woman and has her husband murdered. And yet, God still used David. He's known as a man after God's own heart. He's known as the greatest king who ever ruled Israel, so much so that his birthplace plays an integral role in the Christmas story, Bethlehem, a.k.a. the city of David. Prophecy foretold that there would be the Messiah from the lineage of King David, and there would one day be born in the city of David a saviour who is Christ the Lord. When that day came, a thousand or so years later, 
the man whom God chose to be present to welcome and hold the newborn baby, King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, was an ordinary carpenter from Nazareth named Joseph. As we think about the significance that God gives Joseph in this Christmas story, we see a beloved character who, quite frankly, probably had more than one moment where he would found himself scratching his head. How could I possibly be in a relationship like this? Who would ever believe a story like this about a girl like Mary and a guy like me? I never asked for marriage to be like this. What will everybody think of me, of us? How can I be who God wants me to be when so much of this situation makes no sense? Do you remember what Joseph said in the end of that video? He says, I understand that Joseph is radically underqualified for all he's about to encounter. But isn't that the type of people God uses? The most unlikely folks to do the biggest things? It seems like those are the ones he always picks because he is a God who will never give up on us. So my question is today, how many of you feel radically underqualified for what it is on your plate in a way that gives glory to God this Christmas? How many of you feel afraid about the future? How many of you feel inadequate to take care of your family like you think you should? How many of you feel like you are in a dead-end job? How many of you feel like you're stretched between taking care of kids and aging parents? How many of you feel misunderstood How many of you feel burned unjustly, perhaps by something that was posted on social media? How many of you feel in over your head with responsibilities that are not part of your plan? Well, you are the kind of person God desires to bring him glory this Christmas. You may feel like the most unlikely person to do something for God. Well, please don't give up on God this Christmas because he'll never give up on you. He wants you to know that he is with you and for you this Christmas. He wants you to know that like Joseph, he desires you to simply trust him and to not be afraid in your circumstances. But day by day, you can find courage and strength as you follow God's lead in your life to do what he wants you to do and to say what he wants you to say. You have been identified by God to be the only one in your unique circumstances and situation who can bring him the kind of glory this Christmas. If you feel like you are the only one who's radically underqualified to do such a thing, remember the weight of Christmas that is God uses people who find themselves in less than ideal circumstances to bring him the greatest glory. You have been uniquely positioned. Don't be afraid. Trust in God and make yourself available to him no matter what happens. You might feel radically underqualified. Too old, too sick, too beaten, too abused, too too broken, too immoral. Well, you're in good company. Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, David, and certainly Mary's husband, Joseph, can all identify with you in one way or another. And yet famously, each is used by God to do great things. And so will you. God bless you.